You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back at you with a, another interactive class of Connecting the Universe from the Connecting Universe portal, of course. So today we're going to be talking about the connection between Egypt and Atlantis, which this is a topic which always fascinates me, of course. I have a fascination with Egypt anyway. Come along with us, Stargates of Ancient Egypt Tour in February. Uh, there's still time to go ahead and register for that. It's really, compared to a lot of the other Egypt tours out there, it's really inexpensive. You see these others that are like six, eight, ten grand? Uh, this is 4500 You know, so uh, it, it's a really, really good deal. So I see a lot of people have, uh, have jumped in there, and uh, we were kind of noting that just before the show. Uh, Mary Haygood just jumped in. Alina's down there in the house. Uh, Sarah Youssef, Jennifer LeBay is here. Tom McNicholas. Uh, we have uh, Anne Celine as well. So a lot of people are jumping in. So this is fantastic. So uh, for those that are listening to the podcast version of this later or on one of the syndicated shows like KPNL, KGRA, the UnX Network, we invite you to come out here every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time to the Connected Universe portal. Catch the live stream. You'll be able to watch uh, all the videos and catch the whole slide presentation and everything that goes along with this. But of course, there's a lot of great extra content out there on the Connected Universe portal as well. It's a 30-day free trial. And you can check out, of course, the weekly interactive class like this, uh, sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos, monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, insider travel blogs, in uh, videos like from Egypt, from Ireland, the American Southwest, all over the place. All this and more, connecteduniverseportal.com. Also wanted to throw out there real quick for those of you who may have missed it, uh, my interview with George Nori on Beyond Belief on uh, Gaia TV has dropped uh, today. You know, we filmed that back in May. I know people were kind of wondering about that because they saw the photos uh, back then that I had posted. And uh, yeah, that dropped today on Gaia TV. You can go to my social media and pick up the links there. So uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'll be sending a newsletter out tomorrow through the Connected Universe portal uh, with those links as well. So, uh, but we dive deep into the Alaska Triangle with that one. There's also some clips from the Shadow Dimension in there, which was pretty cool. I was happy that they played that. So you get to see uh, some of our friends like Mark Anthony and Johnny Enoch and those guys in there as well. So, all right, class question for this evening. If Atlantis truly existed, where do you think it was located? And what do you think happened to its people? So uh, Jen LeBay responded, I always imagine it was in the South Atlantic I think it was some kind of catastrophic event causing it to sink and all the people drowned. Very boring hypothesis, I know. Uh, you know, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, boring. I mean, it kind of adheres to a lot of the ideas, but you know, we base all of this on, on the work of Plato. You know, we get the story from him, which he does talk about a catastrophe. It was a catastrophic event that destroyed the, uh, the civilization of Atlantis. And so that's, that's what we have uh, to go off of. And of course, you know, we think of Atlantis, of course, there's the Atlantic Ocean. So, you know, there are some ties into there. Now, as far as uh, where do I think it was located, like my answer, 
Um, I I can't say one specific spot. I believe that uh, Atlantis was a culture. And when you read into uh, the Timaeus and uh, Critias, which are the uh, two pieces of, they're the two documents that we have uh, the Atlantis story in, uh, they do talk about it being a culture. And there were you know several different rulers within this culture. So even though it doesn't completely spell it out, it basically hints that it was a large culture that spread out. And so I think it was a, it was a worldwide culture that had many, maybe colonies or something like that. And, um, you know, when it was destroyed, it was more of like, there was a catastrophic event that wiped out much civilization. I mean, think, okay, flood. Yeah. The, the flood myth is not a myth. Um, it happened. So could that have been what, uh, took out Atlantis, or was that even a previous civilization that another cataclysm had taken out? That's up for debate. Uh, and what happened to its people? They spread out. The, the survivors spread out, and we're going to see some of that this evening, how they did spread into some different locations. So, um, all right, let's go ahead and get into... We're going to Egypt. <laughs> we are going to Egypt. Uh, so Egypt is is older than we know. Okay, um, you know there is a there's a traditional narrative. Some people call that the mainstream narrative. That's you know been told to us. You know that it uh, goes back to you know 3000 and something BC and then you know before that it was like hunter gatherers there wasn't a civilization all of that but if you actually talk to the people of Egypt you will hear stories that many of the older structures that are there in Egypt predated them that they found them they discovered them and whatever the previous civilization that had been there was gone, that they had repurposed abandoned buildings. And you hear this type of story around the world, like with, with the Incas, you know, with Machu, Machu Picchu. You know, the, the archaeologists will say, well, this was a uh, you know, early Incan civilization. But the people who are descended from the Incans will tell you that, no, 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 this, this was before us. You know, we, our people came in, found it, took it over and built on top of it. And you can see the difference in the architecture because it's kind of stacked on top where the, you know, the older it is, the more sophisticated the architecture is, how much bigger the blocks are. And then you have the smaller stuff on top. And you see that same thing in Egypt as well. So who were these people? Who were they exactly? Well, there was an era of time within Egyptian history called Zeptepi, or otherwise known as the first time. And we see, this, okay, I'm going to play you a clip from Abydos. Now, when we look at the king's lists in Abydos, and I wasn't thinking of this then when we were there uh, a little over a year ago, what you're looking at here is the traditional king's list. On the other wall, this is the west wall. On the east wall are the gods. And the ages for those gods are very, very lengthy. We see stuff like that play out in the Bible. We see stuff like that play out in uh, ancient Sumerian texts where these kings and rulers and gods from long ago lived for hundreds if not thousands of years and so we see this uh in abydos as well now this video clip that i'm about to play muhammad's talking about the king's list but it's it's pertinent to our conversation so i'm gonna go ahead and, and play this real quick is that Thutmose right there the first one this is Thutmose three that is uh that is Moses four so, uh, and Amun Hotep III, we're supposed to have here Hatshepsut, but we don't have Hatshepsut. 
Also, after Amenhotep III, here we're supposed to have Akhenaten and Tutankhamun. We don't, okay? Uh, so this is, could lead us to say, yes, they choose mighty rulers. But there are many names like this king. We don't know who he is at all. We don't have any mention for him anywhere. Unknown king. So if he's a mighty king, why we know nothing about him? And some of the uh, rulers here, we don't know who they are. They are not mighty rulers as they claim. Okay, so what's interesting about that, and we'll see this uh, again in Egypt in February, is that you know it's it is a very large kings list. It is not all inclusive, and that's kind of important to understand that uh, when you look at any of these lists that were compiled, they were incomplete. Now, Hatshepsut, who was missing from that, uh, very very important king. I know she was a female, but uh, they even called the the female uh, rulers kings. The the uh, Greeks, by the way, came up with the name Pharaoh that the Egyptians never referred to themselves as pharaohs. Uh, and then, of course, there are others that are missing, like uh, Akhenaten, King Tut's missing out of there. So they're, they're incomplete lists. And so on the other side of that wall, you have these, uh, these gods that are listed, the netters, uh, other, the way mainstream uh calls it is um this these are the mythical kings but to the egyptians this was the zeptepi these were the original people of the land uh, these are the ones who created the land and then uh you know from out of the cataclysm came their culture so i saw that there were some questions down there in the chat we're about to dive into some uh some deep stuff here so i think tom had a comment here so tom says i think it was south of bermuda now part of the bermuda triangle so probably like the bimini road area i know that gets talked about a lot um so if there was from sarah Yusuf, if there was another people with the technology to create those structures where are they now gone lost the time um you know that's and that's that's part of the mystery of it all you know that knowledge disappeared and we've we actually have seen this happen ourselves ourselves um you know there are there are structures that have been built you know within the past several hundred years that you know are absolutely beautiful that you know today our you know our architects are like you know, that would be you know millions and millions of dollars, the amount of manpower put into it, uh, some of the way that they did the architecture, we couldn't, we couldn't do it. Um, but even architecture aside, um, you know, you look at something like the Egyptian language itself, you know, it's, the scribes in Egypt lasted until about 300 AD, and the last person that could actually speak and write the language died. What happened with the, the people that knew that that information, that technology, that um, that had that know-how, they died off, and so it became a dead, missing, unknown language until um, you know over the past 150 years here. So that's the type of thing that we that we see happen over time. I wanted to throw this up there about Abydos real quick because I I find this temple fascinating. There's so much going on within this within this temple and i don't know how well you can see that because on the screen it's probably kind of small um but you see the passageway there it does say abydos king's list but actually focus on the other areas of the temple so on the back middle you see the uh, 10 columns back there and i wish there's a way i could do a whiteboard on this like i could on zoom but i don't have that here so that's actually the room that has the depiction with the Jed pillar. And then off to the right there, the three chambers, those are the stargates. We've talked about that stuff before. Preceding that, uh, right in front of there, you see those, uh, basically they're like seven chapels to seven different gods. So we see, pay attention to the numbers, 10, three, seven. And then you have uh, within the two entrance halls and basically right at the front of the temple 
you have rows of 12 columns. And if you actually add those up, it equates out to 72, which is very important for the, uh, the precession. You have those sacred numbers within the temple there. Then out back behind uh, Abydos, we've talked about this before, you have the Osirion. And this is, Abydos is believed to be where Osiris was buried. Not necessarily in the Osirion. That may have been some sort of temple to uh, Osiris. Osiris. We don't know for sure. But, uh, but this was possibly, possibly something to do with Osiris. They're still trying to figure it out. We don't really know. Um, what is interesting, though, is when we look at the Edfu texts, they talk about the place of the cistern, which some people do believe is a reference to the Osirion here. Now, we're going to spend some time at Edfu here in this particular episode, because Edfu contains the most complete story currently in existence, of Zeptepi, again, the first time. And so I have another clip here from uh, from Mohammed with Johnny at Edfu, and then we're going to kind of break some things down here. Right, but here, here's the thing. So remember the lecture that Mohammed gave you guys last night, and he was talking to you about the Atlantis story, where we get it from. We were all discussing this before, right? We think that people think that Atlantis is a Greek story. Mm-hmm. Richard knows this. It's seen mm-hmm. in his eyes. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, is that the Plato, Plato tells us the story that he writes in, you know, we hear about Critias and Tiamias, but his uncle Critias told it to him. Mm-hmm. His uncle Critias got the story from his great-great-great-grandfather, Solon. Mm-hmm. Solon traveled over to Egypt, what it was called Saïs. Mm-hmm. And when he came here, he talked to a priest called Sanchi. So Sanchi said, come here, i got a story to tell you. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. And we believe the story that Muhammad's showing you is the same one he saw in the temple of Nefru. I will tell you, but let me explain a few things first, and then I will show you uh, something else also, something important about the, also the story of creation. In this temple, we are going to see different type or different style of the word Stargate again, like this one. Okay, to make sure you understand that this is a Stargate. Okay, and that's where Mohammed starts getting into the Stargates, which we're not going into tonight. We've done a lot of things on Stargates uh, in the past, but that's not this evening. Okay, so Edfu. Uh, they, the immigration uh, depictions that Mohammed was talking about uh, has a lot of similarities to the Atlantis story. And where where we're going to be going to get some of this information from um is is from this uh book that's no longer in print the mythical origin of the egyptian temple by eve raymond so she was an egyptologist a long time ago this was uh this was printed back in the 60s i've been trying to dig it up um it's it's hard to get a hold of it so i've i've taken snippets of it from other resources to to help out with this. Uh, But basically, when we look at these depictions at Edfu, we see see these boats, okay? And basically, what is is going on here? Um, You know, is the story of a cataclysm and their survival of that. So... Uh, First, it's important to note that these texts at Edfu, and by the way, this is what Edfu looks like from from the outside, uh, because I know I've just been kind of showing you photos of walls, but that's the the exterior from the front. But uh, what's important to note about the Edfu texts is that they did not originate on the walls of this temple. What these are are copies of what is considered the most important parts of this story from a much larger archive of documents that actually existed at that time. So this is this is the Zeptepi story copied uh, from, and those documents 
uh, very well could have been on scrolls or papyrus, uh, which some of the papyrus, like the uh, uh, like the Turin scrolls, uh, you know, are three thousand years old, and that's a like a big king's list, very very fragile. They were only able to save fragments of it, but it's like that type of thing that they would have taken the original text or I mean, that could have been a copy of a copy. We don't know. Uh, but that was essentially put onto these walls, the important parts of the story. So these texts here describe an era in which the gods of Egypt, or otherwise known as the Netters, lived on a sacred island known as the homeland of the primeval ones. And at some point, a cataclysm of flood and fire destroyed the island and most of its inhabitants. Some survived and set sail on their ships to wander the world and recreate their civilization. So you can see right there the whole idea of cataclysm, flood, fire. They're on an island. The island's destroyed. And there are survivors that uh, are sailing on a ship. So it's almost Atlantis plus Noah, right? Uh, I guess maybe without the animals, because I didn't see anything there about the animals. But uh, but in any case, yes, very, very Atlantis-esque. So I'm going to quote you actually from her book here. And it, and it says, An ancient world, having been constituted, was destroyed, and as a dead world, it came to be the basis of a new period of creation, which at first was the recreation and resurrection of what once had existed in the past. So essentially you have this massive cataclysm, destroys their civilization, there's a few survivors left, and they're trying to recreate. And you know all, that's, all that they have left is whoever survived that, their knowledge still intact. Now there's a lot of knowledge a lot of know-how that would have been lost in that cataclysm. So this may be where, um, you know, some of the builders of those, you know, ancient buildings, you know, had been lost. You know, they, they, they may have just perished in, in the cataclysm. That happens. Uh, you know, you think about our civilization now, okay? Uh, if there is a sudden cataclysm, um, you know, you could say massive flood or, um, you know, we're suddenly thrust back into the ice age or even just like a basic like EMP uh, that annihilates all electrical components uh, and sends the world into chaos, uh, which many, many people would die in something like that. Um, the ones that are going to survive something like that are going to be the ones who know how to live off the land because you're not going to have grocery stores and things like that anymore. Uh, and those supplies will go quickly. Um, so it's going to be the ones that know how to survive off the land that will that will make it. So um, those guys that know how to you know, build a cell phone or, or code a computer or something like that, there might be a handful that know how to... Um, uh, Girl garden might be a handful that know how to, you know, actually hunt or something like that. Not too few or not too, <laughs> not too many. I mean, uh, you know, some of your corporate bankers, many of your corporate bankers, um, you know, are, are not going to have that know-how. But in any case, um, yeah. So, cell phones and computers and things like that, those those would go by the wayside. They would fall into myth and lore and things like that. Um, you know. Because our, our technology, our way of living, it would be just completely annihilated at that point. We'd have to basically restart and go all the way back to the beginning. And that's what's happened here with Atlantis. So now the question becomes, okay, these, these texts, if these were copies, where did they originate from? Well... Could have been at the library in Alexandria. Um, you know, this is something that would have existed around the time that Edfu was built. So, 
those texts could have been at Alexandria. There's also the idea that it could have been at Heliopolis. Now, Heliopolis, which was the city of the sun, uh, there are some people that believe Heliopolis may have been the site of the great city of Atlantis, whether Atlantis was just a single city or whether it was a, uh, a massive culture with a capital. Uh, some do believe that Heliopolis would have been that capital. Now, you look at this illustration here, you're just really seeing a, a single obelisk. You can actually see the, you know, the three pyramids of Giza way in the back there. And then just a couple other small ruins. Um, sad story with Heliopolis. There's not much left of it. And this was a you know, massive, massive uh, you know, city for a long, long time in Egypt. And so New York, London, Paris, they all have Rome. They all have these obelisks from Egypt, right? Where did they get them from? Most of them came from Heliopolis. So, um, which is kind of, it's pretty sad if you think about it. So at Heliopolis, if it was here, um, there's there's a couple of reasons why those, those texts may have been here. Uh, so English Egyptologist IES Edwards pointed out that Heliopolis was the site of the inventory building that had been a center of astronomical science closely connected to Giza. Of course, again, you see the, the pyramids back here uh, in, in the background. Sir Alan H. Gardner believed that the inventory building was some sort of archive in which Pharaoh Khufu was searching for information about the secret chambers of the primeval sanctuary of Thoth. And this is a depiction of Thoth from, um, uh, from Dendara, which absolutely beautiful temple. To support that, uh, the Westcar Papyrus, which dates to the Middle Kingdom, about 1650 BC, but was a copy from older source material, talked about a quote-unquote chest of flint hidden in Heliopolis, which contained a document which described the, again, quote-unquote, secret chamber of the sanctuary of Thoth, with Khufu, uh, which Khufu wanted to copy for his temple. So uh, Heliopolis had some... Uh, had some buildings or a building that would have housed some of this information or documentation or may have been some sort of secret archive. So you have Alexandria, you have Heliopolis. We also have uh, the Temple of Sace. Now, Sace is uh, pretty interesting. This is an artist's uh, interpretation of what it may have looked like. This is also another one of those locations that are just absolutely in ruins. Uh, this is an illustration from the 1840s, which you can really kind of barely see that there's any sort of a city uh, that had been here. And uh, this is today, which is just really the, um, you know, some foundation stones and things like that of, of some buildings of SACE. So uh, you know, this is really quite sad, uh, the, the state that this uh famous temple has become. And if you think about this, Library of Alexandria, Heliopolis, Temple of Sace, all of which housed important documents, completely obliterated, and we've lost most of that knowledge. So where Sace comes into play here is with Plato. Plato, of course, uh, you know, wrote the uh, Timaeus and Critias, which is where we get the Atlantis stories from, both of which are incomplete, unfortunately. Uh, over there on the left is his great uncle Solon. About 150 years uh, are between these two. But Plato uh, had the story passed down from Solon. Solon had received the story from Egyptian priests at the Temple of Sace. So there's, there's your connection. So according to Plutarch, uh, the priest that passed this down to Solon was identified as Sanchis. Now, scholars debate as to whether Sanchis really existed but this is what Plutarch tells us about Solon. It says, near Nile's mouth, 
by fair Canopus shores and spent some time in study with Sinophis of Heliopolis and Sanchis of Sais, the most learned of all the priests, from whom, as Plato says, getting knowledge of the Atlantic story, he put into a poem and proposed to bring it to the knowledge of the Greeks. So, of course, we're told through the retelling by Plato that the Atlantean Empire existed 9,000 years before Solon. So you kind of have to math that out a little bit uh, as far as when that would be. But basically, it puts it in that era of the Younger Dryas, of that moment where we have the cataclysm that was essentially felt around the world, you know, where we get all those, those flood stories. I think there's a comment or two in here. Um, yeah, Sarah asking, uh, was the was ancient Egypt lush, lush with vegetation? So ancient Egypt, I mean, for thousands of years, this is the way Egypt has worked. So the Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt. And what happens is uh, the, and this is where uh, the summer solstice comes into play. So around June 21st, this is when the flood waters of the Nile come in and deposits this rich black soil. And this is what they end up growing their crops off of. And, um, and the, uh, the name Egypt is actually Greek. Um, the Egyptians never called themselves Egyptians. They never called their land Egypt. They called it Kemet, which means the black land. And that's because of the soil from the Nile. And so all that area up and down the Nile was very, very rich. The Nile, again, was the lifeblood. Um, and it's it's kind of funny if um, if you're traveling up and down the Nile, and this is, this is what Muhammad had to say. He's like, all up and down the Nile, take a look. You have three colors, blue, green, yellow. <laughs> and so, yes, beyond, beyond that, it becomes the desert. Now, thousands of years ago, um, like, okay, about 10,000 years ago, uh, the climate in Egypt was very different. And yes, it did have more vegetation back then. They had uh, more animals, more livestock, uh, more greenery. And this is, we're not going to get into it, but that plays into the whole story of the dating of the Sphinx. But it was a, uh, a much more uh, lush area with good rainfall and, and things like that back then. It was a little bit of a sidebar there, but that's fine. This is an interactive class. So um, back to finishing up our story about Sace. Again, whether or not the figure of Sanchez existed, Solon at least spent times with the priests of the goddess Neith. Now, Neith was, uh, was a tutelary goddess of Sace. So basically, she was a guardian or protector of a particular place, and this, this had to be Sace. But she was also an early powerful Egyptian deity, the goddess of creation. So she basically created the world according to uh, according to the Egyptian mythology. So the Esna Temple uh, records an account of creation in which Neith brings forth brings forth the Nun, the first land from the primeval water. So she would have been the one that created uh, the land that was destroyed that we we talked about uh, when we were back there at uh, at Edfu. So she created that land that was destroying that cataclysm that they fled from, uh, and, you know, trying to find a, a new home and try to uh, resurrect their their culture. So what's interesting uh, is okay. So this is the uh, Temple of Esna, and again, we're told that Neith brings forth the first land from the primeval waters. 
She's a creation goddess. And what we see at Esna are depictions of the raising of the temple. This is actually, uh, Johnny's pointing at levitation. And we see this at Edfu as well. So it, you see this constantly play out again and again and again. Uh, you know, some of the details have been lost to time, but this is at Esna. It's actually just in a little side room. But here's you know, the temple on the ground. And then we see the raising of the temple here uh, in the next freeze which is exactly what we're seeing at Esna. So you have these connections of Sace with the, uh, with the goddess Neith to Esna, and then you're seeing the Esna depiction also played out there at Edfu, which is, again, that creation story, which goes back to Neith at the Temple of Sace. But unfortunately, again, Edfu is only a partial record of whatever the original was. And there would have been more. We don't know if Sace would have had the complete record. But it had more to the story, which is where Solon got this Atlantis story that he passed down eventually to, to Plato. So, all right, we're going to get into here for the last several minutes. Um, <laughs> a part that I always really like to talk about um, because we try to draw connections. That's why it's the connected universe, right? And why this class is connecting the universe. The spirals. Nakada culture, Nakada one. 4,500 BC. So 4,500 BC. The pyramids were supposed to be built 2,500 BC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there they are, 4,500 already built. They were, it would be 4,500 BC. Well, and you have the tallest one on the right-hand side. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What I'm sure about that so many of the caves and so many of the ancient drawings, they made the, these spiral uh, lines, okay? Uh, you see those spirals all over the world. Right? Yeah. Okay, this is very interesting to me here at the Nubian Museum. So we see some of the artwork here depicting spirals. Now, you see these spirals all over the world. There's another one that, that's on an egg. Uh, could be the cosmic egg with the spiral. And you see these spirals all over the world at Newgrange, at Sardinia. I was out in uh, Chaco Canyon a year and a half ago, and you saw the, the spirals there and the petroglyphs uh, with, the, with the star people. And so a lot of people believe that these uh, spirals represent portals and gateways and access points into other parts of the universe that allow you to access other dimensions that now, there's, a, there's an energy to these that's spiraling around, um, you know, kind of like what we get with the uh, kind of the access nodes with the crossing of the different telluric currents. So is that what they're depicting here? Again, we've seen them all over the world. Are they uh, recounting a lost technology that you know, became forgotten over time, but at least somebody remembered it here for at least a brief moment? It's things like this that we look for in our cultures around the world to find things that are in common. And this pattern is one that we see over and over and over again. So that tells us it has some significant meaning to the entire planet. Yeah, it's uh, if Victoria was here, uh, she would, <laughs> I know she'd be making some comments about the spirals because I do talk about them a lot. Uh, and I talk about them a lot when it comes to the uh, the Stargate symbolism. It's also a uh, a symbol uh, that has been used many times, also in relation to the uh, to the Atlantean civilization. Because wouldn't I mean obviously when you just look at uh, you know, the way that uh, Atlantis was constructed, you have the concentric rings. 
which is what we also see with uh, so many of these pieces of art. So this is this is that uh, piece of pottery from this is actually the Nubian Museum there in um, it's in Aswan. But we also see the same pattern on some pottery, and I didn't include it here uh, in the Cairo Museum. And this is you know, this is the pre-dynastic stuff. This is the old old stuff. Um, you know, that goes back to like 4,000 BC, like uh, Muhammad was saying. And I, and I showed that, uh, that bit at the beginning that had to do with the pyramids rather than, rather than the spirals because of the, um, to really show how the, you know, traditional narrative doesn't fit what's actually being found. So, I mean, it's obvious you got the you got the three pyramids there. Uh, one of the other comments that was made that I clipped from the video was that it's got the lines going across, which we see on the pyramids themselves. Uh, and then, of course, the way it's set up, you have the, the tallest one, which would be the Great Pyramid, all the way over on the right, and then you know progressively uh, shrinks from there. So it's all set up properly, but the uh, you know, the traditional narrative, because the pyramids were supposed to be built, according to them, around 2500 BC, the, these aren't them then, then they're, uh, they're mountains. Well, um, you don't have, and, and the other, the other one is, is the river Nile. Uh, you, you don't have three mountains like that along the Nile. So <laughs> they can only be the periods and the pyramids, but because of the date of that, they just, they just excuse it away, which is, which is absurd. And so that's one of the uh, challenges with this type of research is that when things don't fit the narrative, they find some other excuse for it uh, or they kind of sweep under the rug sort of thing. And so you know, we see that with, with a lot of this that, that we talk about. So I want to include that. Uh, but the fascinating thing for me about the spiral is that we see it all over the world. So that's Egypt. This is Sardinia, which is also in the Mediterranean. So it's not too far off the beaten path. Uh, but you also see this in the architecture at Sardinia. So this is uh, one of the ancient sites there on the island. And you have all of these circular patterns and spirals and things like this within their architecture. So some believe that this is uh, Atlantean influence that has uh, that has made it from wherever that civilization perished to here. There's also uh, we got into it a while back with the uh, with the giant stories and giant graves that um, giants who may have survived the flood or uh, there there's some evidence of that also there on Sardinia. So it all plays into the story of our ancient history. Of course, then we have Newgrange as well. And I really, really wish that I could have gotten a Newgrange. I don't know if Anne is still down there. She was able to make that. Um, so I'm supposed to head there with Anne and her sister. Uh, and I just happened to be sick as a dog that day. Um, and I know Jen felt really bad for, uh, you know, for having to fly back to the States that particular day. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I survived. I just happened to miss this wonderful stuff that I wanted to get a photo of with my own camera. Uh, but again, you see the the spiral patterns here. And then you also see this in, in America. This is Chaco Canyon. Now, uh, again, we've talked about this more with portals and stargates and that sort of thing because uh, the, uh, the indigenous people there uh, of the Chaco Canyon area said that these were star people, that this actually had to do with the star people, that, you know, they came down here uh, using essentially these portals uh, to, to come here on Earth. And then uh, up there near Skinwalker Ranch, this is actually McConkie Ranch, but it's uh, right down the road, you see, again, the same spiral pattern, again, attributing this to a, a portal. And there's actually a... Um, on, on the mesa there at Skinwalker, there is a stone circle. And there are also other symbols there for, for the portals. 
Now, Portal Stargates is a little bit beyond our discussion. You can go back and refer to those uh, previous classes. Uh, but let's go back to our artwork here for Atlantis. Now, we know that there was the, the temple in the middle of the island. And I should have grabbed the clip of that uh, a few years back when we had Johnny Enoch on the show on Edge of the Rabbit Hole when we were doing Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I had asked him about does he think that perhaps in the middle of the island of Atlantis that there was a, uh, at the temple there, if there was a portal or a stargate there. And, um, you know, he, he said that, sure, you know, that was certainly a, a possibility. There's not enough information within the text to really know that. But given that we see that symbolism there of, of Atlantis with the concentric circles, with these other uh, patterns around the world that have been attributed to portals, now, I think it's very likely, this is going to be speculation on my part, of course, I think it's very likely that the Atlantean civilization had this sort of portal or stargate technology, that um, it was a significant part of their civilization and their lifestyle. And so we, you know, it would have been part of their artwork, part of, uh, you know, their, their architecture, if that's what this is uh, in Sardinia. And so these cultures that would have survived, that would have sprung up out of the survivors, or even those that survived that were not part of the Atlantean culture but knew of it. Because you're going to have commerce and trade, and you're going to have other peoples that are going to know of you know, this great civilization that was out there. And they're going to have stories about that. And they're going to pass down those stories. And they're also going to pass down uh, the symbols of that. Uh, you know, I mean, think about this. Okay. Um, you know, I um, I never played for the, for the Boston Red Sox. I would have liked to. You know, it was a dream of mine as a kid at one point. Um. But, I, but I, I never played for them. I was never on the team or anything like that. Yet around this house, you can find their emblem in many places. You know, I have, um, you know, some, some different figurines of some players, certainly a lot of baseball cards. Um, I have the emblem on T-shirts and jackets and, um, and coffee mugs and things like that, right? So it doesn't, doesn't mean that I played for them, but I am at least familiar with them. I was a fan of them. And so I represented them on you know, some of the things I have within my house. So that could very well also be what some of this is. Those that recognized the Atlantean culture, even though they weren't a part of it, you know, they could have been awestruck by, you know, these magnificent people and represented that on on some of their artwork and, and things like that so uh so some of this could actually be those who are trying to mimic the atlanteans so there's always that possibility as well so we're getting down toward the end here um sarah yusuf asked do you think that those people have moved off planet good question uh, did they bail out well you know you hear the you know the stories of of the anunnaki the shining ones that um you know that some of those you know may have left the planet that the gods decided to leave so that is certainly possible that uh that there could have been survivors of atlantis that perhaps still had enough technology uh, after the cataclysm to leave and get off the planet, or, you know, maybe some did so, you know, before the cataclysm uh, completely hit. So if they had something like this, like a portal or a stargate uh, in, in the middle of the island on the temple or in the temple, uh, that they may have used that, uh, you know, before it completely annihilated them, you know, 
I guess you think about, okay, you see the huge wave coming and the volcanoes are going off and things like that. Um, you might make a last ditch effort to, to run to the portal and, and, uh, and teleport away. You know, there's the, um, oh, what is it? Uh, the Tiwanaku, um, near Lake Titicaca, where basically it's that, the, the door in the side of the, uh, in the side of the mountain. Right. And, uh, with that one, which is, you know, a purported Stargate, they were being chased by the Spaniards across the continent and the, what they call the last King went through and it completely closed up after that. So yeah, that could be a possibility. That is certainly a, a possibility there. All right. Well, if there are no more questions and comments, we're actually going to wrap this one up a couple minutes early. Uh, but I really appreciate all of you hanging out this evening, talking about the Egypt and Atlantis connection. Of course, we have the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour coming up here in February. So we're going to be checking out several of these places uh, in February. I'm going to get Mohammed to talk a little bit more about that uh, list of, of netters on the, uh, on the other side of the wall from the King's list. But, um, you know, between Abydos and Edfu and uh, you know, some of these other locations there in Egypt, you know, not only we're we going to be talking about the Stargates, but there are a lot of those Atlantean connections as well that uh, I believe that, I mean, again, it's a connected universe. It's, it's, all, it's all connected. So all right, everybody have a good evening. Till next time, time really exists.